Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining us today as we're going through the book of Galatians. What a powerful little book this is. Just six short chapters, but filled with power, okay? Well, it was Vadi Bachman Jr. who said, It has been said that as goes the family, goes the world. It has also been said that as goes the father, goes the family. When a father is given to a son or a son is given to a father, both laugh. When a son gives to his father, both cry, says William Shakespeare. You know, as I look at the joy of having a father, it was Jim Valavano who said, my father gave me the greatest gift anyone could give another person. He believed in me. Sigmund Freud said, I cannot think of any need in childhood as strong as the need for a father's protection. So to all the dads who are out there, I want to thank you for being men of God, being the dads that you should be. And I also want to encourage you to continue to grow in your faith so that you can be a blessing to your children. You know, every second Saturday of the month, every single second Saturday morning of the month at 7 a.m., We do a men's breakfast at Hickory Ridge Community Church. Now, we have been doing this since 2004. Uh, We meet together always the second Saturday morning of the month. And we have a guest speaker. So we want to invite you to be part of what God is doing through our men's ministry. If you have any questions about that, please feel free to give me a call. 757-421-7500. Or maybe you like to text, okay? Uh, I get a lot of text messages, and it seems like that seems to be the favorite way of communicating. You can certainly send me a text at 252-267-2365. We're going to look at Galatians today. Galatians chapter 1, beginning at verse number 10, going down through chapter number 2, verse number 10. By way of introduction, imagine a courtroom where a litigating party tells the judge, you know, that different people have different truths. Now, this situation actually occurred when a hostile witness accused a government contractor of wrongdoing during his testimony. Now, notice how the contractor demonstrated his flimsy view of quote-unquote truth after the trial judge informed him of his right to cross-examine his adversary. So here's what the judge said. It's now your turn to ask any cross-examination questions of the witness that you want to ask of him at this time. The contractor says, well, I don't really have any questions directed towards him because he has his own truth. I have my own truth. The judge says, well, there's a real truth out there, and that's what I'm here for is to try to find that. So did the contractor really think a judge will attempt to dismiss this case? based upon the fact that the assumption is that everyone has his own truth? Well, absolutely not. Is truth really subjective? No. Uh, The judge was right. There's a real truth out there, and that's what we are here for, to try to find the truth. You know, God uses all experiences in our lives to reveal his truth to us, but the truth doesn't change. C.S. Lewis, in his autobiography entitled, Surprised by Joy, tells of his school teacher, Kirkpatrick, nicknamed the Great Knock. He was a furious debater, and he was very logical in how he taught Lewis how to build a case and how to make strong arguments. Kirkpatrick was actually an atheist, and he intended to strengthen Lewis in his own unbelief. But years later, when Lewis became a Christian, it turned out that the Great Knock 
had trained him well to become one of the greatest defenders of the Christian faith in the 20th century. You know, sometimes that's how it is. We train for something, God gets a hold of us, and then God uses our gifts to be a blessing to everybody else. I think about the Apostle Paul. He was the same way. He was a great persecutor of the church. Uh, He had the tenacity of a bulldog, but then when he was born again, he didn't lose that tenacity. God just used that tenacity in a whole new direction. Maybe that's what he wants to do with you today. He wants to take you and he wants to get you in the right path, give you a new purpose for your life, give you a new direction for your life. Let me tell you, he can do it for you, okay? Well, I want to talk to you today about some fallacies. I'm calling these six fallacies that feel like freedom, but delivers bondage. So we're trying to look at half of them today and the other half tomorrow. Now let's look at Galatians chapter two, verses four and five. Paul says there was a matter that arose because there were some false believers and they infiltrated our ranks. They were trying to spy on us. They wanted to see where we had this freedom in Christ, and then they wanted to make us slaves. Paul says, we didn't give in to them for one moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved to you. So here are some fallacies that begin to feel like freedom, but they actually lead to bondage. Now, Jesus said to those Jews who believed on him, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed, and you're going to know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, we love to quote verse number 32, but Jesus said, if you continue in my word, you got to believe in him, continue in his word, then you are my disciples indeed. And then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Fallacy number one is the approval of others. Galatians 1.10, Paul says, am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God. Well, here's the truth. Pleasing God frees me to be a powerful servant of God. Am I still trying to please men, says Paul? If I am, I can't be a servant of Christ. Now, when you are a people pleaser, it appears like that is a good thing, right? And it appears like there is some peace that comes into your life. There is some affirmation that comes into your life because you are pleasing people. Paul was gathering around and he says, you know, all this opposition that's coming against them. And, uh, and he says, oh, this doesn't bother me. I'm a servant of Christ. You know, God revealed his son to me. He says that I might preach, says Paul. He says, I knew that my primary job was now not to please people, but to reveal Jesus to them. His growth was developed when he had this solitary time with God. You know that Paul spent three years in Arabia? Paul's first sustained time after being a Christian was spent out in the wilderness, where he learned about the Savior. Paul was baptized, that's Acts chapter 9, toward the end of that chapter. He preached a couple of sermons, and and then he spends three years in the desert. Some would call it JMU, Jesus' Missionary University where he was learning about Christ, and he had some direct revelation about Christ. That's where he searched the scriptures, and that's where God revealed himself to him. In Acts 9.23, it tells us that Paul's conversion was so dramatic, and his preaching was so powerful, that the Jews conspired to kill him. The disciples were afraid of Paul at first, and they were wondering, is his conversion the real deal? I mean, what better way, after all, to kill Christians than to pretend to be one? Well, Paul learned quickly, the approval of men is very fleeting. It is way overrated because it is so short-lived. 
George W. Bush said this, popularity is fleeting, principles are forever. William Penn said, avoid popularity. It has many snares and very few benefits. Proverbs 29.25 says, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord, his life is safe. And in Luke 6.26, it says, woe to you when all people speak well of you. For so their fathers did to the false prophets, and look what happened to them. You see, we so love the approval of others, but the fear of men can easily drive you to desire their blessings instead of God's blessings. Did you know it actually is a form of worship? I want people to worship me. I want their approval. You know, the gospel removes a man-pleasing spirit. In other words, the gospel produces confidence and fearless followers of Jesus Christ who have little concern for the approval and the good opinions of others. Paul said, I couldn't be a servant of Christ if I were a people pleaser. Now, I want to balance this, right? Because sometimes we go the other way. I want to intentionally get people all ticked off at me. Now, that's not a good way to be either. But don't be driven to be a people pleaser. In another passage written by Paul, he addresses a very common form of popularity. That is doing a job only to the degree that you get approval or you get reward. You know, if you do that kind of work, it would be very shoddy work. It'd be very inconsistent work. In Ephesians 6, Paul says, Obey them, not only to win their favor when their eyes on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will give you your reward. So number one, first fallacy is the approval of others. It feels like freedom, right? Because I'm getting my needs met, right? This need for approval, but it can actually deliver bondage. Number two would be the acceptance of self-reasoning. Galatians 1 verses 11 and 12. Paul says, now, dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message that I preached is not based on mere human reasoning. I received my message from no human source, and no one taught it to me. Now, as we look at this, self-reasoning can often lead to self-justification. Paul said to the Corinthian believers that we are destroying speculations in every high and lofty thing that raises itself up against the knowledge of God. And Paul was addressing a particular problem that they had in the church at Corinth that he covers in the first epistle to the Corinthian believers. And he says, you know, they were going around and they had their own reasoning and and they would say things like, well, I'm of Paul. And then another said, well, I'm of Apollos. And then they said, we're mere men. It's not our theology that matters. It's not how we can self-reason because self-reasoning can lead to self-justification. When a person encounters what they call cognitive dissonance, and that's a situation where your behavior is inconsistent with your belief. What tends to happen if we are self-reasoning, that person will justify the behavior and deny any negative feedback associated with that behavior. Why? Because they have self-reasoned something. Now they're justifying what their behavior wants to do. Now, when you think about this, it is so easy to fall into this danger. There was a book written about the late Rush Limbaugh, who was a radio icon, as you know. And in it, this particular author highlighted a tragic irony. 
Limbaugh died as a result of complications from lung cancer after spending the majority of his career either downplaying or outright denying the dangers of cigarette smoke. Limbaugh was masterful at creating and reinforcing narratives that lionized his allies and demonized his enemies, and it was something that made him quite popular. Often these narratives were rooted in truth, yet in the case of his own health, he continued to deny the conventional wisdom that smoking causes harm. And that's not a a slam on the late Mr. Limbaugh, but uh, it was an area of weakness in his life. When we think about struggling with self-deception, these include matters of overconfidence, matters of misinformation, and a phenomenon known as motivated reasoning, which is thinking through a topic with the aim of reaching a particular conclusion. Now, listen, we all struggle with this from time to time. That's why we must be convinced that what we believe is not based on self-reasoning, but from the revelation of God himself through his word. Here is truth. Knowing God's mind frees me to experience his grace. So Paul says, God who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me that I might preach among the Gentiles. So we've learned a couple of things so far today. We've learned that the approval of others is definitely way overrated and it leaves us empty. We've learned that the acceptance of self-reliance only depending upon myself can have disastrous results because I become self-deceived. You know, I have a family member who, who studied to go into ministry. And this particular family member was more of a self-reliant type of person. And so he would kind of hang around people that always agreed with him and kind of agreed with his particular stance on issues. Now, the only problem with that is that the people that were standing with him, uh, they missed some things through error. And as a result, he also missed some things through error. Uh, They became so narrow-minded. I had a a seminary professor that reminded me when it comes uh, to theological issues. Sometimes we can sharpen our pencils so tight and be so self-reliant and on our theology that every time we use that pencil, it breaks right off. It doesn't become useful. When we look at self-reliance, our reliance is on Christ and on his word. He reveals things to us and the multitude of counselors, there is safety. And if you think that you have this great revolution of uh, revelation of truth and nobody else sees that, I want you to know that it's probably folly because there's nothing new under the sun. Well, there's a third fallacy. That is the appearance of peace at the expense of truth. We're going back to Galatians chapter 1, verse 20. Paul says, I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. He says, I'm telling you the truth. Verse number three of chapter number two goes like this. He says, but not even Titus, uh, even though he was Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. But it was because of the false brethren who secretly brought in that they sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. So Paul is saying, I'm going to write unto you the truth. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to pull any punches. I'm going to tell you what the problem is. And he says, Titus was a Greek, but he was compelled to be circumcised. But because of false brothers is why he was circumcised. Paul is saying that Titus got circumcised to keep peace. 
He didn't want to confront the truth that I don't need to be circumcised to be a follower of Christ. He was fearful. And so he went along to get along. And as a result, he wanted peace over truth. Now, liberty prevails when false doctrine is rejected. When we look at the prevailing of liberty, it is rejecting false doctrine. Look at Galatians 1.5. But we did not give in to those false brothers for a minute. We wanted the truth of the good news to continue for you. Listen, I want you to know something about false doctrine. False doctrine destroys the church from within. When we think about how a church can be destroyed, we don't have to worry about the outside destroying us. Every church that gets destroyed is destroyed from the inside out. You see, the gates of hell cannot prevail against us. Those outside forces are not going to overcome us. It is those inside forces that we refuse to deal with, that we refuse to confront. Things like baptismal regeneration is a false doctrine. You're not saved because you're baptized. Paul even addressed some controversy within the church because they were going around saying, if you don't speak in tongues, that you're not saved. And so Paul deals with that. And he's very explicit in confronting it. In 1 Corinthians 12, 30, he says, do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? The clear answer is no. This is the first place that we go to if we're looking at this subject of speaking in tongues. Not all speak in tongues. And then I would go to Romans 3, 28. Well, Paul says, we hold that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of law. Faith alone is the means by which we are united to Christ and justified. Therefore, insisting on some other events like speaking in tongues or baptism, any other instrument of salvation, all this goes against the idea of faith and faith alone. But so many times we do this because we want peace at all costs. Martin Luther said, peace, if possible, but the truth at any rate. Patrick Smith was a commercial airline pilot, and he was uh, an expert at flying the 757s and the 767s, and, and he noticed that flyers' number one anxiety is turbulence. So much about it seems dangerous. But Smith argues that from the perspective of the pilot, turbulence is often a mere blip. Smith writes, For all intents and purposes, In all truth, a plane cannot be flipped upside down, torn into a tailspin, or otherwise flung from the sky by the mightiest gust of an air pocket. Conditions might be annoying and uncomfortable, but the plane is not going to crash. Turbulence is an aggravating nuisance for everybody, including the crew, but it's also, for lack of a better term, normal. From a pilot's perspective, it is ordinarily seen as a convenience issue, not a safety issue. When a flight changes its altitude in search of smoother conditions, this is by and large in the interest of comfort. The pilots aren't worried about the wings falling off. They're trying to keep their customers relaxed and everybody's coffee from being spilled. In the worst of it, you probably imagine the pilots are in the cockpit with sweaty high palms and, and the captain's out there barking out orders and hands are tight on the wheel and, and the ship lifts from, from one side to another, but really nothing could be further from the truth. Smith concludes, while the passengers are fretting about the turbulence, the pilots are having a casual conversation about their morning orange juice. I want you to know turbulence is going to come into your life. That doesn't take God by surprise. 
you're going to have times where you don't have any peace. Don't be driven by peace. Be driven by truth. Listen, God says, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. I'm going to be with you right there in the middle of the storm. You have nothing to be afraid of. He's going to be with you. You are invincible until God is done with you. Well, we've looked so far. Fallacy number one is the approval of others. Fallacy number two is the acceptance of of self-reliance. Fallacy number three is the appearance of peace at the expense of truth. Number four, fallacy number four, is the appearance of external righteousness. Now, as we look at where many people are, our culture, in many cases, has infiltrated the church. And it used to be there was a clear distinction between right and wrong, but now we got this this mushy middle. So Paul addresses this in the Galatian believers. And Paul says, you know, whatever you think is is super important, whatever they think is number one, God's not going to judge by the external appearances, the external righteousness. Uh, We know that that God looks beyond the external and looks internally. We have a great example of this in the Old Testament where Israel was getting ready to anoint their next king. And so the prophet Samuel goes out and, and, uh, and he visits the family of Jesse and is looking for the next king. And he goes through all the sons of Jesse and says, this, is this all you got? And uh, because he's convinced that somebody, something's not right here. Uh, none of these guys that I've looked at are the right person to be the king of Israel. And Jesse says, oh, yeah, well, um, I, do got a, I do have another son. Uh, he's the runt. He's out there taking care of the sheep. Oh, bring him, bring him on here, says Samuel. And Samuel anoints David, the runt of the family, uh, to be the next king of Israel. And then in that particular passage, it says, God looks at the heart. Man looks at the external, but God looks at the heart. Here's the truth. Salvation is given by grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ not only changes our mind, he changes our hearts. I want to read a passage in Acts chapter 15, in verses 10 and 11. Luke records these powerful words. Why do you try to test God? By putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our forefathers have been able to bear. No, we believe it is that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we have been saved just as they are. What was the big controversy? Since they look different than us. They, they can't be saved because they don't look like us. And why are you putting that yoke on their neck? And they can't handle that. You can't even live up, up to all the rules. Listen, we are saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, just like they are. You know, every once in a while, uh, I'm late for an appointment because I haven't been able to find my car keys. You ever been there? You know, it's, it's, it's just part of life, right? And when this happens, you know, I frantically run from room to room, and then sometimes I assign blame. And I said, well, who's playing with my keys? And, and uh, I put them right here on the counter, and nah, they're not there. And, and they don't just walk in or vanish into thin air. Who's picked them up? Where are they? I'm late. You know, we have a special needs son in the house, so it's always easy to uh, blame him for the misplaced keys. And However, most of the time, it's my own fault the keys are lost. 
And one time I walked into my bedroom and and I was looking and I was huffing and puffing and moaning and groaning and I couldn't find my keys. And as I'm leaving the room, I put my hand in my pocket and lo and behold, I found my keys. They've been in my pocket the whole time. We all laugh uh, because we can relate. You know, the truth is we all typically live this way, frantically and, and frustratingly searching for something that we already have, the gospel, the good news. The good news of of the fact that we have been possessed by Christ. Jesus has finished that work. You know, Christians have already have uh, justification. We have approval. We have significance. We have freedom and security. We have validation. We have love. We have righteousness. We're rescued uh, from darkness into light. And, And there's a thousand of things that happen to us because of Jesus Christ. Unfortunately... Many of us will listen to that internal voice, the one that constantly says, do this and live. Oh, we need to drown out that voice within. Well, we're going to finish this up tomorrow. I hope that you join me as we look at the last reason or the last fallacy that we have when we are are battling in this walk with others and this walk with the Lord. So if I can help you in any way, please give me a call, 757 421-7500 or you can shoot me an email at onehopeforyourheart at gmail.com and I'd encourage you to uh, go to our website if you google in Hickory Ridge Community Church it will tell you all about the ministries that we have Uh, I mentioned our men's breakfast that's going to be on there Uh, all the ministries of our church are located on our on our church website if you'd like to listen and watch our services on Sunday morning uh, we're online every Sunday morning for the 1030 service please join us well God bless you Thank you for tuning in today. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.